So it's March already. Can you believe it? Um, it's really phenomenal that we're only a few short weeks away from, e uh, from spring. And, uh, and then Easter's right after that, and then summer, and, you know, it's Christmas in a couple weeks. So time is flying, and uh, I just made everybody scared for a minute, didn't I? Uh, but we are starting a series today, a brand new series for the month of March. Actually, the first four weeks. There's five Sundays in March this year. But the first four Sundays, we're going to be doing a series, and we've called it March Madness. And uh, don't worry, all you non-sports lovers. It's not anything to do with basketball, okay, or sports for that matter. And most of the ladies in the house said, amen, amen. Um, and it's not about anger issues either, even though some of you may want to deal with some of that. That's not what we're talking about this month. It's not about being mad uh, in that sense. Uh, you know, the, the term madness, by definition, is actually like a, a frenzied, chaotic, off-the-wall kind of behavior. You know, like you could translate it to foolish. And uh, that's a very uh, strong word to be used. And we don't use it much in our society anymore. You know, we usually just prefer the term crazy instead of madness. And, uh, but you know, it's interesting because if you look at the word and if you want to, if you, if you want to follow the principles of the word of God in your life, the world is going to think that you are mad, right? Because there are principles in God's word that the world would see and say, man, that's crazy that you're doing that. Some of the things that God asks of us as we're gonna, if we're going to be followers, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, there's things that he asks of us that the world will say is crazy. And we're going to take the next four weeks to talk about some of those principles and how we can apply that to our life and not necessarily be led by the world. You know, we have to make a choice every day. And for most of us, it's every hour of every day, except maybe Sunday morning. We have to choose whether or not we're going to be uh, influenced and led by the world and try to kind of fit our faith into it without, you know, really overturning the apple cart, or if we're going to follow the principles of the word of God and risk being seen as mad by the world. That's a choice we all have to make every day, isn't it? We're seeing it more and more in our life. And it's not about standing out and being crazy for the, just because we just want to do that and we, you know, we're going to be boisterous and, and uh, um, aggressive and things like that. It's more about living the, the life that Jesus has called us to live. And so, you know, there's a, there's a biblical principle. In fact, there's a verse that really explains this really well. And it's going to be, it's kind of the, the premise for this whole series. And it's from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his, his first letter. And he said, you know, there's a, he, he got a revelation of heaven. He actually talks about the fact that God took him into the third heaven where he actually, actually saw heaven. He had a, a revelation that very few of any other people have ever seen. And he said, because of the great revelations that I got from God, God had to give me a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble, basically. And he says that he asked God to take it away three times. I mean, most of you know this story, but I want to read God's response to him when he asked him to, to remove this thorn in his flesh. It's out of 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is the premise for this whole series. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. That word can be translated madness. It's the same word. The message of the cross is madness to those who are perishing, but... To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's things that we as followers of Jesus, principles that we have to live, that the world would say is foolish. But for us, it's the power of God in our life. I want you to pray with me as we begin today. Father God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to come and do your work in our hearts and in our lives over these next few minutes. 
have your way today. Jesus, we thank you that your name is above all names. And we honor that today. And we give ourselves to you today, God. I pray that all of our hearts would be open to receive your word this morning. And that you would do your work in our hearts. And you and you alone receive all the glory, all the honor, all the accolades. Because you're the only one worthy of it. And we'll praise you for it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So this first week, my sermon title today is actually called Backwards Bragging. Now, I, re- I realize that's a ridiculous title for a sermon, okay? But I have a reason for it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a meme that's out there right now. I think most of you probably know what memes are, you know? Now with social media and smartphones, everybody posts silly stuff online with pictures and words that go with it. To, usually it's silly and just wants to, it's there to make us laugh. There's a meme out there that I didn't know about. You youth, you probably knew about this before, but I didn't know about this until this week. There's one called, not to brag, but dot, 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 and then you kind of fill in the blank. But this kind of, these memes, this bragging is actually kind of backwards bragging because it's really exposing things more than it is bragging. And there's a few that I want to share. I just thought it was kind of funny and kind of get us off on the right foot this morning. There's one that says, uh, not to brag, but there are a lot of people who talk about me in therapy. <laughs> Hope that's not you. Not to brag, but I can forget what I'm doing while I'm doing it. I'm in that camp sometimes. Not to brag, but I put together a puzzle in one day, and the box said two to four years. <laughs> That's backwards bragging if I've ever seen it. Uh, not to brag, but I finished a 14-day diet in just over three hours. I think the Christian version of that would be not to brag, but I finished my fast in three hours. Uh, Not to brag, but my winter body is on point. (laughs) Praise God for clothes that cover us. Amen. These aren't things you would really brag about, right? This is kind of backwards. You know, if we're going to brag about something, we're usually going to brag about, you know, our new job or our new boyfriend or girlfriend, or we're going to brag about our new car or the vacation we just took. And, you know, I've come to realize that the only reason for Facebook and Instagram is to brag about the things in your life, right? Is there any other purpose for that? I know we try to say there is, but it's really not. You know, I've told Joy, we don't have to go on vacation. We just have to take pictures with Photoshop stuff behind us, and we'll be beautiful. You know? But that's, that's kind of society's uh, way of going about life, is to kind of live so that others will envy your life. Live in such a way that people would be envious and jealous of you. you know, that's society's way to live our life. But you know, our way is a little different than that, isn't it? But you know, the Bible does, it not only allows, it actually promotes bragging in two senses. Through the word, you'll find it. One is the obvious one. Many, got many of the authors in the Bible talk about boasting in the Lord. I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in God. I'm going to boast about his goodness. I'm going to boast about his mercy. I'm going to boast about his grace, about his power, about his love in my life. That's a good thing to boast about, right? Because we're not actually bragging about ourselves. We're bragging about somebody else. And that's a good thing because we're called to proclaim who he is to the world. That's why we worship. That's one of the reasons we worship is we're proclaiming who he is. So it's good to brag about that, but it also gives us one place where we can brag about ourselves. I bet some of you didn't know that. And some of you are looking at me like wonder where I'm going, but let me, let me show you where in the Bible where it talks about us being able to brag about ourselves. It's in second Corinthians chapter 12. This is the apostle Paul again in verses nine to 10. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong verse. I'm in the wrong verse. No, I'm in, I'm in the right verse. Okay. I'm confusing myself. Okay, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, this is where Paul says we can brag, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the one thing that Paul tells us that we're allowed to brag about is about how strong we're not. Not really a fun thing to brag about, though, is it? This is backwards. This is what the world would say is madness. Like, you're going to brag about your weakness? Nobody wants to brag or flex about their weakness, right? I guess that's the term the young people are using now. Like, why are you flexing all over me? That means why are you bragging? I don't know. You need a translator to talk to young people today, right? <laughs> Thankfully, I have three of them in my home, so I figure it out pretty quick. But This is madness to the world. You know, I have been, uh, for about a year now, I've been working out a few days a week with some guys. We do this outdoor thing that we work out early in the mornings. Uh, I just felt a conviction that I just need to take care of myself. You know, it's not to buff up or anything like that. As you can tell, it's not working if I'm trying to buff up. But, but just to take care of myself, I've been working out. You know, when I started, it had been a long time since I'd worked out. And uh, when I first went, you know, it's like boot camp type workout. And we do, you know, it's 45 minutes. We do a lot of push-ups, sit-ups, running, squats, all these things. And, you know, we first started, if we were doing like a set of 50 push-ups, you know, I could do the first 10. The second 10 was usually on my knees. And then the last 30, I was basically a spectator watching the other guys finish their set, you know. But as time went on and I stayed consistent, I got stronger. It got to where I could do all 50 of them. And then I could even do more than that. And, you know, we, we have these workouts sometimes, depending on who's leading it, where we do a lot of push-ups in a workout. And, you know, I'll come home and I love to come home and tell Joy, like, man, today we did 200 push-ups and I did every one of them. I'm so proud of myself, you know, and I'm keeping up with these 20-somethings. They think they're better than me, but I can keep up with them just fine until we start running and then I'm sucking air and I'm dying. But you know, I never ever want to come home and tell her about the fact that we also did 30 chin-ups on the monkey bars and I only got seven. I don't tell her those things. I mean, I could because she'd love me anyway. She didn't marry me for all of that stuff. That's for sure. But that's not the st kind of stuff that I'm inclined to brag about. Hey, guess what, honey? Today I only did seven out of 30 chin-ups. You know, that's not really what we do. We want to brag about the things that are good in our life, not necessarily our weaknesses. But Paul's telling us here to brag about our weaknesses. Why? Well, this isn't literal. He's not saying we should brag about how few push-ups we can do or how weak our physical body is. What he is talking about here is that we should be celebrating our complete and total dependence on Jesus. That's what he's telling us. He's saying, if you're going to boast about anything, boast about the fact that you can do nothing without Jesus that you have no strength on your own to get through this life. There's no way that you're gonna be able to live the principles of this word unless you are completely dependent on him. So if you wanna brag about something, brag about the fact that by myself, I can't do anything, but Christ in me, the power of God in me, it's limitless. I can do anything with him. That's what he's telling us to brag about, but that's tough for us, isn't it? I think it's especially tough for us in the United States because we are such a blessed nation. We have a lot of resources. We can usually figure most things out, right? If you're sick, you can kind of figure that out. If you need money for something, most situations you can figure that out. You can borrow, you can do what you gotta do. We don't necessarily always have this great uh, uh, overt dependency on God because of how blessed we are. It kind of works against us in some aspects. And it's fine to be able to do those things and to be blessed, but too oftentimes it translates into our relationship with Jesus too. You know, my, my nephew and his wife were coming from Florida up to Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, and we're the halfway point, so they stopped and stayed with us on their way up. And they are in Youth with a Mission, the same missions organization that Joy and I were in. 
And they've been really excited. They're loving what they're doing, but they felt like the Lord's transitioning them out and they want to get involved in local church ministry. And so we were talking to them about church ministry and, and, uh, as I was talking to him, one of the things I found, I was just thinking through like the difference between church ministry and, and working in a missions organization like that. And I said, you know, I think probably the hardest aspect of local church ministry is convincing Christians of their utter and complete and total need and dependency on God for Monday through Saturday. It's got to be one of the toughest things. And I'm not pointing the finger out at you guys. It's, it's for all of us. Sunday morning, it's easy. You know, we can worship, we're excited. We're, we're with a bunch of people that are like-minded. It's definitely a little easier, but eventually we've got to go out those doors and we've got to go to work and we've got to go to our unsaved family and, and other places where we're encountering people that aren't like-minded with us. And it's a lot harder to realize that dependency because we, we kind of want to fit in. We don't want to do anything to you know, really ruffle feathers. And we, we, we kind of let the, the world influence us rather than us influencing the world. And so it's really difficult for us to really see our complete and total need and dependence on God. The fact that we're spiritually bankrupt without him. We kind of try to get through life sometimes in our own power. But I'm here to tell you today that the key to seeing the power of God in your life is this principle, is understanding that you are weak and you, we need to celebrate that weakness and not try to do things in our own strength. You know, the, uh, that passage that I read from Paul, he says that I'm gonna boast in my weaknesses, and he says, I will boast in my weaknesses so that the power of God may rest on me. So he gives us a prerequisite here to really see the power of God in our life. It's about celebrating our weakness. It's about celebrating the fact that I'm not enough on my own. It's not about, it's not about going through life, getting saved, and bringing Jesus along for the journey. It's about com- being completely in him. And saying like, Mm-mm. now that I understand the, the gospel and I understand the cross and I understand who I am, Jesus, without you, I can't breathe. I can't get out of bed. I can't do anything. I need you for every aspect of my life. That's, where, that's how the power of God rests on us. We all want the power of God, right? We want the power of God in our life for freedom. We want it for peace. We want it for joy. We want it for contentment. All the fruit of the spirit, we want it in our life. That comes through the power of God manifesting in us, and that comes by celebrating our weakness. You know, the, uh, the great Charles Spurgeon, he was quoted as saying that our weakness is actually a greater weapon for God than our strength. I love it. I love it. It goes against everything the world says. It is total madness. But it's the truth, if you understand the gospel. But it's completely backwards from what the world says. I've never heard uh, an army you know, looking for people to join their army and saying like, okay, you know, we're going to look for the weakest people we can find, you know? And if you want to be a seal or a ranger, we want the real weaklings. An army's not going to do that. Army wants strength. They want the strong people, the ones that they can send out into the battlefield to win. And that's good for a natural army. That's what you want. But in God's army, he's saying the opposite. Saying, I want, don't bring your, your muscles in here to me. Don't bring your strength. I want you to bring your weakness. I want to, I want you to bring your total dependency on me, your total Uh, a need for me. See, the world would say, the world celebrates independence and self-reliance, right? But God celebrates dependence on him. And we have to learn to embrace that in our life if we want to see the power of God in our life. You know, in, uh, in two short months, I can't believe it's coming this quickly, but in two short months, Joy and I are going to be pastoring this church. And the way, thank you. And uh, the weight of it is really starting to hit us. It's really hitting me. And 
I am so blown away and humbled by the fact that God would have called us to, to be able to shepherd this church, uh, this incredibly powerful, wonderful church. It's such an honor and a privilege. I can't even describe it and put it into words. And, but but we, I am starting to feel the weight of it because, because it's a large responsibility. And uh, in fact, I was joking with the, the horn section on Thursday night at rehearsal about that weight. And I said, you know, uh, it's no wonder Pastor Bowen's so short. <laughs> you know, he was 6'2 when he started this. <laughs> which means I'm in bad shape because I'm starting out at 5'6". I'm going to be 3'2 in 10 years. So. But it, it is. There's a weight to it. And there's a weightiness. And I have been asking the Lord a lot over the last, over the last months, God, why, why us? You know, not, not, not in a, uh, a, fate, a fatal way or, or a negative way, but just saying, God, why would you choose us? Because there are lots and lots and lots of people that would love to be able to step in this role once Pastor Bowen retires. And you know what I felt like the Lord has shown me is this principle right here. You know, I had to go on a journey of learning how to be weak because I'm pretty independent by nature. Uh, I'm, I like to figure things out. I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I like to get my roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty and do things. And I feel like if it had been 10, 15 years ago, that's probably what I would have done. I said, okay, we're going to do this. Let's go. Let's make this happen. We're going to work hard. We're going to make everything really great around here. Well, today, knowing that we're about to step into this role, I'm going, oh God, oh God, I don't know. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. This is not my church. This is your church. I'm a vessel that you're going to use. And as long as you choose to use me, I'm here and I'll be faithful. But God, it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm not going to be able to do this in my own strength. It's not about hard work. It's not about figuring things out. It's about me emptying myself and saying, God, here I am. You can use me. You can use me, right? Praise God. And I believe that's why he's called us to this place, because we've been on that journey. And there's no place for pride. There's no place for arrogance in my life. Because I know if anything good happens in this church, it's going to be, and if anything, it's in spite of me. Because that's just how good God is. And I, we trust him in that. But church, this is something we have to learn in our lives, that we have to be empty and weak spiritually so that he can come in and empower us to do what he wants to do in us and through us in our life. All right, so I want to talk to you about what this looks like, because I think a lot of us are saying, yeah, you know, I buy that. I believe that. I believe the word that we got to be weak. Well, how does that look in my life? You know, because I still got to get up. I still got to go to work. I still got to clean my house. I still got to change the oil in my car. I still got to do all these things. How do I be weak, but still do the things that I have to do? I want to give you three principles today, quickly, that, uh, that will help explain that, I think. Principles of, of weakness for us. And the first one is just to acknowledge that we are weak. That's the very first step. You can't get anywhere in this principle in your life unless you just acknowledge, hey, you know what? I'm weak. I can't do it on my own. Because, you know, we, we can be kind of full of ourselves. We can, we can try to bring Jesus along on the ride with us. But in reality, we have to understand that we are weak. You know, Jesus tells us a couple times, multiple times in his words that we're weak. Look at Matthew 26, 41. It says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are weak Jesus is telling us here. He's cluing us in. He's basically saying, listen, I know you think you're strong. I know you think you can, you can do things in your own strength and you can get through this and you can, you can figure it out. But he's telling us, nope, you're not going to be able to do it because your flesh is weak. And he's not talking about physical weakness. He's talking about being able to live out the principles of God in our life. 
to be able to live for him, we have to understand that we're weak. In, in, in uh, John 15, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, it's about, talks, Jesus talks about him being the vine and we're the branches and how we need to abide in him. And he says, if you, if you will remain in me, I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. And that's a beautiful part of the verse. But then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, apart from me, if you were trying to do this on your own, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And this isn't just about salvation. I know we read that and think, yeah, it's about, you know, being grafted in. We've got to be connected to the vine for salvation. It's not about salvation alone. It's about living the life of a disciple. It's about saying just because you're saved doesn't mean everything's just going to work out. You still have to be, remain attached to me and understand that you're dependent on the vine for everything. Because apart from that, you can't do anything. Jesus has given us a pretty stern word here to let us know that we can't do anything without him. A lot of us miss out on the empowering of God in our life because we fail to acknowledge the fact that we need him so desperately in our life. We miss the empowering of his life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is out of Proverbs 3. It's probably a lot of your favorite verses too. It's in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He talks about acknowledging him in this verse. Let me read it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. How many ways are we supposed to acknowledge him? All of our ways. He's saying here, you have to acknowledge your need for me. This is not a tip of the hat to Jesus, saying, good job, Jesus, I acknowledge you, or giving him a thumbs up on Facebook. It's not, it's not that this acknowledging is saying, oh God, in all my ways, I need you. I need you in everything. And he's saying, if you will do that, he gives us another prerequisite here. If we will acknowledge him in all our ways, what does he do? He directs our paths. And that isn't just like pointing the way for us and saying, go that way. When he's talking about directing our paths, that's, that's him empowering us. That's him living in us and walking with us down that path. But he's saying, if you really want that, if you want my power in your life, if you want um, me to work in you and through you, you've got to acknowledge me in all your ways, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in situations where you've exhausted every other option, but in all your ways. All your ways, understanding that, yep, I can't do this without you, Jesus. And he's saying, if we will do that, if we will acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. So we start with acknowledging, which is easy, because that's basically just an admission. We're already weak, so it doesn't hurt us to admit that we're weak. And so then the next step would be to trust him. Once we acknowledge that we need him, then we trust him. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on trust because in the weeks to come, I'm going to talk more about our faith and trust and how that looks like madness to the world too. But I do want to touch on it today because it's important because that is the next step after we acknowledge our need for him. You know, society says that it's foolish to trust God. We're seeing it more and more and more all the time. Society says, yeah, it's okay to believe that there might be a God out there, but to really trust him with your life, that's foolish. That's what the world would say. They say, why would you trust a God that you can't see? Why would you trust a God that allows famine? Why would you trust a God that allows children to starve to death? Why would you trust a God that allows earthquakes and forest fires that kill people? Why would you trust a God that allows a coronavirus to be spreading across the, the world? Why would you trust that kind of a God? That's what the world would say. That's what the world's wisdom says, right? That's their wisdom is saying, no, if you, you can't see that, it just doesn't make any sense to trust that because if he's a good God, these things wouldn't be happening. Well, let me, let's look at what the Bible says about trusting in the world's wisdom. The Apostle Paul's got a lot of good stuff to say about this too. In 1 Corinthians 3, 
verses 18 to 19, he says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that, the wise, so that they may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And the opposite of that is true too. God's wisdom is foolish to the world. But we have to choose which one we're going to follow, which one we're going to trust. Are we going to trust the world's wisdom or are we going to trust this word and trust God's wisdom, even though we can't always see it or make sense of it? It's imperative upon us that we, we choose to trust in the God that we cannot always see. You know, every door of blessing, perspective, and joy in the faith is unlocked with the key of trust. Every one of those doors is unlocked with a key of trust. There's no shortcuts. There's no other way around it. It's about trusting him and who he is. And you know, the reason we can trust him is because at the end of the day, we have nothing to lose in this life. But Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the spirit and the soul. He tells us very clearly not to love this life. He even promises us that we're going to have trouble. John 14, 6. I think it is. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He's promising us that the bad things in this world are going to happen. So that doesn't change the, like the world's wisdom says, oh, those things shouldn't happen if there's a God. No, he actually promised us they would. But what he's saying is you can take heart because he's overcome the world. That means that this is not the end of our story. We're playing with house money. Right? This, that's why we can trust our God even when bad things are happening is because we have to have an eternal perspective and understand that this life is just the very, very beginning. And we have nothing, there's nothing that can be taken from us in this life that can take that trust away for God. I, you know, I remember um, a while back, my, my kids, they outgrew a little bicycle that we had for them and the bicycle had two flat tires and the chain was missing. I mean, it was wore out. And so I just put it out to the curb with the trash one day and I was up in the garage doing something and I literally saw this guy drive up, gets out of his car, takes the bike, puts it in his car and he leaves. And you know what my reaction to that was? All right. I had nothing to lose. It was trash. It was garbage. So since I had nothing to lose, I didn't care if he took it. You know, I, was, I wanted to go out and open my lid on my trash can and say, hey, you can have this too. And I'm not saying that our life is trash. I'm just using the trash as an analogy here to help us understand that if we don't have anything to lose, we can trust God in the midst of these situations because we know that this is just the beginning. God wants us to have an eternal perspective to see that, that we don't love this life. If we don't love this life, then the things that happen in this life can't derail our faith and our trust in God because our love is for the next life. Our love is looking forward saying we have this hope and it's eternal. It's not just for today or tomorrow. We have a hope for today and tomorrow too, and we can be thankful in that. But our ultimate hope, our ultimate victory comes when we're with him in heaven. And that's why we can trust him. All right, so let me give you the third one. I'm gonna spend the remainder of my time on this one. The third principle is surrender. And this is the tough one. This is a progression here. You know, you acknowledge, then you choose to trust, and then after trust, you have to surrender. And this is the tough one for us to really surrender ourselves to Jesus. And this is something that the world would say is madness, to surrender. Because, you know, surrendering, the way the world looks at surrender is you don't do that until you've exhausted all other options. 
When everything else is run out, then you finally can surrender. You look at a, you look at, uh, a war, and you've never heard an army general say, you know, if we're going to win this war, we're going to have to surrender. We're going to have to raise the white flag and surrender if we really want to gain strength and win this war. That's ridiculous. That doesn't work in the natural. But in the spirit and in our relationship with Jesus, that's exactly what he's saying. If you want to be strong, if you want to win, I need you to surrender. And that goes against everything that's inside of us, doesn't it? It goes against it because it's not who we are in our flesh. And it's tough because we like to control what we can, right? Any control freaks in the house? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to because we're all control freaks. And you know how I know that? Because if we weren't control freaks, living the principles of this would be a piece of cake. We just read it and say, oh, okay, lay down my life. Sure, let's do it. But we don't want to do that because we want to control. And you know, control and surrender are polar opposites. You can't have them both. You can't be surrendered to Jesus and try to control. You just can't do it because they're the opposites. But Jesus says he wants us to surrender. And if we surrender, we see and we give up control of our life and everything that we hold dear, all of a sudden living out these principles becomes something that we can actually do. But it's not because we're doing it in our strength. It's because when we give up control and we surrender, that's when we see the power of God come into our lives. That's where we see it. And in church, there's no shortcuts to that. There's no shortcut. There's no, you could read through this thing cover to cover every three weeks for 10 years and you will not experience the power of God in your life if you don't surrender to him. These are just words on a page if we don't surrender our life to him. And those are hard words to hear sometimes, but that's the truth. We have to be able to surrender. And the thing is, that's something we can do. We know how to do that. It's just a matter of giving up control and allowing him to do what he wants to do in our life. And it even goes further to tell us that beyond surrender, we actually have to lay down our lives for him. So this isn't just a surrender, it's an unconditional surrender. This is as if we're saying, man, we've completely lost. We're completely helpless. I'm throwing myself at your mercy. And that's what God's asking us to do. Look what uh, Jesus said in Luke 9, verses 23 to 24. It says, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, that means if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to be a Christian, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. How often? Daily. daily. This is not a one-time thing. So this is not a thing about salvation. This is a thing about living as a disciple of Jesus. If we're going to do it, he says, we've got we to lay down our, or take up his cross daily and follow him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for me will save it. Now, that's madness. Oh, to, so to save my life, I have to lose it? And if I, if I want to save my life, I will lose it? it, it what? Like that doesn't, the world would read that verse and go, that's insanity. That is total madness. But that's what Jesus asks of us. In fact, in Matthew 10, he goes even further to say that if you don't take up your cross daily and follow him, lay down your life, that you're not worthy of him. That's a harsh, harsh word from Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus looking at me saying, you're not worthy. I want him saying, come on in, brother. Come on in. You can follow me. You got a place with me. That's what I want. I don't know if that's what you want too, but he says we're not worthy if we don't take up our cross daily and follow him. You know what the cross symbolizes, right? It's death. He's saying we have to die to ourselves. 
Another thing the world would say is crazy. What? Die to yourself? Like, who's going who's gonna to take care of you if you don't take care of yourself? Jesus says you have to die daily. The cross is about death. You know, if you, if you buy a ticket to, tear, to carry a cross, that's a one-way ticket. That's not round trip. You're not carrying a cross, taking it somewhere, dropping it off, and coming back to do it again later. It's one way because you're dying. Now, this is not a physical death. Don't take me wrong here. This is about a surrendering of your life. This is about saying, okay, God, my life is yours. He is looking for hearts that will say to him, God, my life is yours. Every, that, that, that's all I've been saying. Th this whole thing about uh, this transition is just taking me to another level of saying, God, my life is yours. You can do whatever you want. I'll serve you the best I know how, but I'm going to need you living in me and empowering me to do this. That's what we need in our life. That's what God is looking for for each and every one of us is to come to that place where we say, God, it's all about you. It's all yours. You can have my life. Do, do with it as you will. And, and there's no better place to put the trust in with, for your, with your life than with God himself and allowing him to have his way in our life. And I know some of us would look at that and say, man, why is Jesus saying, like, why do we got to die? Like, why, what, why this extreme level of surrender, you know? Well, I'm here to tell you today, the reason that he's asking us to do this is not because he's a control freak or because he just wants to see us, you know, surrendered and, and lowly below him. He's doing it because there is no resurrection without death. I'll say it again. There is no resurrection without death. There are three main places or, or principles of resurrection that we'll see in the word of God. The first one is the, the great resurrection that we're going to have when Jesus comes back and he resurrects us and takes us in our glorified bodies and we're off with him. That's the, that's the one you don't want to miss. Amen? That's the good one. That's, that's, the, that's the grand finale. That's where he's taking us to be with him in eternity. That's a resurrection that comes when he comes back. Then there's a resurrection that comes at salvation. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2 that we are made alive in Christ even though we were dead in our sins. We are, we are dead in our sins because of the fall. Okay? So the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all born into sin, right? And the Bible actually tells us that we're dead in our sin. So there's a death there. So for us to get saved and receive Jesus, we have to recognize the fact that I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm dead in my sins and my trespasses. And then we could step into salvation because that's when we can allow Jesus to resurrect us in the spirit to say, okay, you're no longer a sinner. You were a sinner. Now you're saved by my grace. That's the symbolism of baptism. Well, that's why we dunk. We dunk them in. That's the death of the old man going down. And when you come back up, you're being brought to new life. It's a resurrection. So that's the second resurrection that, that God does in our life. The third one is what we're talking about today, about him resurrecting us daily, about him living in us. He cannot come into us and empower us and, and fill us with his power, with his spirit, unless there is an emptying of ourselves. So there has to be a death of ourselves for him to be able to do that. So it's a, it's a requirement. It's a principle of the word of God. It's not Jesus just saying, I want you to be, surrender and grovel and walk and crawl beside me on your hands and knees because he's some, on some power trip. He's doing it because he knows the only way I can fill you is if you'll die to yourself. It's the only way I can do it. There's no other option. 
And, and it's, it's hard for us to really uh, embrace that sometimes, to really want to die to ourselves because we feel like, well, then I kind of, I, I don't know what to expect. But Jesus is saying, if you just do it, if you just trust me and surrender to me, I, I'll come in and I'll do things in you and through you that you could never have done on your own. I'll help you live in a way you could have never done or lived on your own. You try to do things on your own, you're going to get to about here. If you'll empty yourself, I'll take you to the moon and back. That's what Jesus does for us. Amen. Jim Elliott, the great missionary that went to South America to, to take the gospel to a, a savage tribe in South America that was very remote. And he was killed. They actually murdered him. Most of you know that story. And, and going, he knew that he was risking his life because this, was, this tribe had never, been, uh, had never been reached by any civilized group at all. And they were, very, uh, they were a very savage group of, of people. And he was quoted as saying that no man is a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, the world would look at what Jim Elliott did and said, man, that's foolish, man. Why are you doing it? Why are you going down there? Like, can't you just pray for him? And Jim said, I I'm no fool when I'm giving my life because I can't keep it anyway. Jesus told me I can't keep it, but I'm giving my life so that I can gain what no one can ever take from me. Man, if we just all lived with that, with that motto in our life, with that mantra in our life, like I'm going to give my life because I can't keep it anyway. Because if I give it, I'm going to get what I could have never got on my own. Like that's, that's the kind of, that's the formula I want to live by. But we have to be diligent and intentional to crucify that flesh every day, to lay down. Jesus, that's why Jesus said daily, church, because this is, your flesh doesn't give up until the day you die. So this is something we have to do daily. You might have to do it three times a day. You know, depending on the day of the week, you might have to do it every hour. But he says, you got to lay it down. But if you will, oh man, you'll see my power in your life in ways you could have never done on your own. So in conclusion, I just want to answer the question, so how do I know if I'm surrendered? Because I think, I think we want it. I think it's a battle we fight. And some, some of you may be even sitting here thinking, I think I'm surrendered. I think I've given myself to Jesus. But you're not really sure. One of the ways that we know whether or not we're surrendered is how we respond in crisis. Right? Crises do not produce a surrender. It reveals whether or not you are surrendered in your life. That's exactly what it will do. You know, there's a, uh, there's a gentleman that's been coming to our church for a few years. He comes to first service. He sits right over here, second row. Every Sunday that he can make it, he comes. His name's Patrick. And he, uh, he was diagnosed with lung cancer about three years ago. And he loves our church, loves it. He said that the people in this church, he's... He's 69 years old. He said, the people in this church are the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And he, he struggles to even get out of bed some mornings, but he's always got oxygen with him. And by the time he walks from his car to his seat here, he's exhausted. But he comes almost every week. And if you met him, you know he's never once had a bad attitude through this whole thing. He's had lung cancer for three years. He was diagnosed. They told him he had less than a year. That was three years ago. He's still here. But he's never once complained. Every Sunday, I make sure I go talk to him. And I, I've been to his house to see him too. I visit him. He has no family. No family at all. He lives by himself. And I'll go talk to him. I'll say, how are you doing, Patrick? Oh, I'm so blessed to be here today. Praise God. I'm thankful for another day. 
every day that God gives me, I'm going to praise him and I'm going to rejoice. And he says, you know, I'm, whenever he calls me home, I'm ready to go, but I'm thanking him. Well, this week it got worse. He, uh, he texted me and said, hey, I'm at the hospital. I, I, I was, couldn't breathe. So they came and got him, took him to the hospital. And I went and saw him and he had one of those BiPAP machines on that covers like your whole face and it actually is breathing for him. He's awake and he can talk, but you can't really hear him because there's so much uh, suction there on his face. And um, I said, how you doing, Patrick? He said, you know, he said he's feeling pretty rough. I said, well, what's the doctor telling you? And he said, well, he said, I have emphysema and, uh, you know, I have an infection, but he's, you know, he didn't really know a whole lot of what was going on. I said, well, would it be okay if I call your doctor and find out? And he said, yes, that'd be great. So I called his doctor and the doctor said that the mass that's on his lungs hadn't grown in like a year and a half or two years. It's actually tripled in size. And the report was not good. The doctor said that he does not have much time left. It's gonna get worse and he's gonna eventually succumb to this. And uh, so I, I, have a really, I have a good relationship with Patrick. I talk to him all the time. He likes, to, he likes to hear it straight. And so I went back in his room knowing that I was gonna have to tell him this. And uh, so I did, I sat down beside him. I said, Patrick, I talked to your doctor. And they said that this is the situation and that it's bad and there's not much time left. And, uh, you know, I know some of you would think, oh, you know, as long as there's breath, there's hope. And, but you know what? He's told me for years he's ready to go. And his quality of life here has been rough, very, very rough for two years. And so I said, the doctor said that, you know, there's not much time left. And he goes, he kind of nodded. He said, yeah, I kind of, kind of felt that too. I said, well, and he, you know, he couldn't really talk to that mask boy. I said, well, how are you doing? And he just smiled real big and he just gave me a thumbs up and he pointed up to the ceiling. He said, I'm good. And I, I could just see the countenance on his face. I was like, yep, he really is. He's good. Because you know why? Because his dependency is on the Lord. His hope and his faith is in the Lord, not on the outcome of his circumstances. He's ready to go. So this crisis in his life revealed his dependency, whether or not he was really surrendered to Jesus. It, it revealed it completely. I'm more convinced now ever than ever that he's ready. We went and saw him last night. He's home, he's in hospice. Went and saw him last night and he said, man, I've just been thinking about the fact that I'm gonna see Jesus soon. And he said, I gotta tell you, when I get there, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> I said, no, you don't. You're going to get there and be like, oh, okay, this is great. But that's where we need to be, church, that when those crises come in our life, because they come, to be able to say whether or not I'm surrendered to him is going to be dependent on how I've lived up to that point. Surrender doesn't usually happen in that moment. It just reveals whether or not we really are surrendered. There's a, there's a woman in our church that serves on our welcome team. Uh, one week ago today, in between services, she was serving on the welcome team. In between services, she got a call, was told that her 36-year-old son had passed away. And she was obvious, as you can imagine, she was devastated. I got a call, I was back in my office, I came out here, a couple women were with her in Connect 101, and I went in and we were just hugging on her and loving on her and she was sobbing. But through her tears, she was saying, oh, but Jesus, you're so good. You're so good, I trust you. Like, I don't understand this, but I trust you, Lord. Her surrender to God was revealed in that moment. That turned into a worship session for her out there. It was just another opportunity for her to worship. I'd like to say I would do that too. 
But I can tell you, we'll know in that moment, you know if you're really surrendered to him because you'll know by the the way you respond to those situations. Let's prepare ourselves now for when those situations come that we can say that a a crisis in our life or, or something that's going on that we don't like is just another opportunity for us to worship, right? That's what it is for each and every one of us in our life. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? You know, you heard the term fool's gold. Fool's gold is defined as something that someone thinks is valuable, but really isn't. That's what this life is in comparison to the next life. It's kind of fool's gold. That's why Patrick can say, it's about time. Because he knows that this life compared to the next life is fool's gold. And here's the thing, church, if we're really surrendered to Jesus, the sting of death is taken away. The apostle Paul said, he mocked death. He said, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? It's been swallowed up. It's been swallowed up. He said in Thessalonians, he says, we don't mourn as those that have no hope because our hope isn't in this life. It's in the next one. Death has no power over us. Death can't have any power over me if I'm already dead right? It has no power if I'm already dead. Like God, if my life really is yours, if I really mean that when I say that, that God, my life is yours, then if it's time for me to go and be with you, <laughs> I win. So death has no sting. It doesn't mean we don't mourn and grieve when people we love die because we care about them. We're going to miss them. But our hope isn't in this life. It's in the next life. So let's be surrendered to our Jesus because he's worth it. He's worth it. He can do more in you and through you if you'll allow him than you could ever do on your own, than you could ever dream or hope to imagine on your own. So I'm going to pray with us this morning, or this afternoon, and I just want you to respond. I think this is something that every single one of us in this room would hope to be able to do, would be to surrender, to acknowledge our need for him, to trust him, and to be able to surrender our lives to him. Every one of us. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then, then you may, none of this may make sense to you. But I'm here to tell you today, there's no better decision you'll ever make than to say, okay, I'm dead in my sin. I'm a sinner. But God, I want you to come live in me. I want you to come forgive me my sins and heal me and deliver me from this life so that I can live for you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Ever make. Don't leave today without giving your heart to him. But for those of you that already would say, oh, yeah, he, he's my Lord. He wants to be Lord of all, of everything in our life. So let's pray. And just as a response, I'm just going to ask you to just extend your hands if you're comfortable with that. You can raise them up in the air. You can just hold them out, whatever you want to do. But I think we need to respond and let Jesus know that, hey, yeah, this is something I want to do. I want it. I want your power in my life. I want freedom. I want peace. I want joy. I want all those things. I want patience. I want goodness. I want gentleness. I want self-control faithfulness. I want all those things. That's the fruit of the spirit working in us, but that's the power of God that only comes in as we empty ourselves of ourselves. So let's pray. Father God, we love you today. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't just ask us or require us to lay down our lives daily for you, but you do it because you want to come and fill us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to lay down our lives 
so that you can fill us with yours. To lay down our lives so you can fill us with yours. That's our desire, God. Forgive us for trying to do things in our own strength. Forgive us for not acknowledging our weakness. Forgive us not for not trusting you. Forgive us for not surrendering ourselves to you, God. We don't want to live like that, Lord. We want to surrender ourselves. We want to say, my life is yours, Lord. You can do whatever you want with it. We can trust you with our life, Lord. Would you help us to get past those barriers in our own minds that would tell us that we shouldn't do this, that the world says this is madness and it scares me. But God, we know that as we take that leap of faith and we trust you, that you will meet us in that place. And God, I pray that you would give us the strength to be weak. In Jesus' name, fill us, Lord. Fill us to overflowing that we could live for you, that we could trust your word and live according to your word and be a light to this world. Lord, we want to be salt and light to this world that needs you so desperately. Would you use us? Help us, God. Help us, Jesus. We love you so much, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I pray you would seal this work that you're doing in our hearts right now by your spirit, that the enemy would not be able to come and pluck this seed out of our hearts. In Jesus' name, we seal it. We declare that it is done and that today is a landmark day in our lives and we're going to leave this place and we're never going to look back. We're going to trust you in a greater measure, in a greater capacity, God. You're worthy of it, Lord. We love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Give God praise. Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.